I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking to Claire Walsh today. She is an Irish freediver who can hold her breath for 5 minutes and 59 seconds, which is the length of Bohemian Rhapsody apparently. And she dives up to 60 metres unaided, which is just incredible. She is also the first person to represent Ireland in the Freediving World Championships. But she has also written a book very recently called Underwater. And I read this book in Italy just a couple of weeks ago and really wanted to speak with Claire. So I'm delighted that she agreed to come here and talk to me today. So let's dive into this episode with Claire. So are you home, are you home just now for a bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going anywhere for a while. Good. Uh, yeah, you need that time, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it has. It's been wild. It's funny if anyone had told me that writing the book is the easy part, I wouldn't have believed them. <laughs> is it just like... it's true. So what is it? Is it the afterwork? Is it the promotion of the talking uh, I suppose like you have a certain control over you know the writing I was here in this room this time last year and you know you're kind of warned that rewrites are the hardest part I actually didn't find them too bad they were okay having said that I was getting married and doing night all-nighters in the week leading up to the wedding still doing rewrites so it was crazy and I think it was after that so that was kind of so then in January there's still little bits to do you know luckily I worked with a terrific company Gail and you know there's lots of little things to fill out and I, 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 you know, I still can't even put my finger on it. I'm still too, too close to it. But and I really enjoy the media aspect afterwards. But it was just, it was full on. And I think for me, a big thing was what next. Yeah. And I still don't know <laughs> what's next. I think I thought it would, you know, things would line up quite quickly. But that's not how things work. So there's a really strange adjustment period. Yeah, clearly I don't fully have the words to articulate it just yet. It's, it's, it's strange. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you what's next. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, firstly, I'm doing a TED talk in yeah. six days, five days time. So I am really excited about that. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. That's on in a place called Rathoth in Ireland. Yeah. And yeah, it's funny because I was to do a TEDx last October in the midst of all this, it, the timing was awful. And I just, last minute, I had to say, I, I can't. It was a really hard decision to make because all the hard work was done. But I knew I wouldn't enjoy it because I was literally thinking, okay, I come home, I'll work for two days. Then I think of my hen party. Okay, so if I work the morning of my hen party, you know, everything was crammed together. So now I have space. Yeah. And my talk is done. I've selected my pictures. I did a rehearsal there yesterday. I'll do a rehearsal again this afternoon. So I have space to yeah. enjoy it. Amazing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, and I think sometimes things, some things don't happen and you're really disappointed by them. But then actually later you realise, I'm glad I didn't do it then because now I'm so much more, whatever, informed or relaxed, <laughs> whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I just was wired at that time and so stressed without realising it. Yeah. Um, 
So this is this is lovely. The timing of this is perfect. Oh, that's great. But that that when you're getting married, I think that's it's one of those classics, isn't it? Where you you're stressed and you don't always know that you're you're really stressed. It's it's funny. I had a call with my agent January one year ago, so start of 2022, I guess. And we had a Zoom, and she said, "You know, did you do anything nice for Christmas?" I said, "Yeah, I got engaged." I said, and have you any thoughts? And I said, yeah, I think like end of this year. And she said, and write the book. And I said, yeah. And I thought the screen freeze because her face was one of just, she just looked at me with utter disgust slash disbelief. And I said, oh, it'll be fine. And she said, okay. As in like, oh, this girl hasn't a clue what she's on about. Now I know what she was talking about. <laughs> you know, I think obviously there are stereotypes of brides going mad and of bridezillas or whatever it is. I don't think I was one. As I say, as my wedding dress is hanging behind me. I don't think I was one. I think we had lots and lots and lots of things going on at the time. My partner is Egyptian and we were trying to get a lot of his family over and kind of last minute visas weren't working out so none of his family could come to the wedding so we had lots and lots of little things all the way throughout in the lead up as well as writing for the book which was really exceptionally stressful but on the day itself I did not care (laughs) one it was raining I don't care my hair started expanding in a bowl of frizz I didn't care I was just whoever's here is here we're here and we're here to celebrate so in a way it definitely freed us up I remember someone asking me (laughs) someone asking me what colour napkins are you having or some it was some really inconsequential question I said what I don't even know if I'm having napkins. What? Like, stop! You know, at that point, I didn't get a wedding dress. It was all a bit chaotic. Uh, so writing at the same time, yeah, it's just bonkers. Bonkers. Yeah, I just I think sometimes we don't always realise, do we? Like, I, I was speaking to a friend this morning, actually, because I woke up with a, a migraine. I get migraines. woke up with a migraine. I was like, oh, I've just got to take some, <laughs> take some sulfatine so I can speak to Claire. And then I said, and it, I wasn't getting them last week, but I was I was swimming every day. I was on the beach, I was in the water, and I was walking, and wasn't getting them for a few weeks. And this week, I've been I've been I said to her, I've been in the house. The builders are in doing the roof just now, so they're banging all day. And Cam, my son's home, and she's like, "So you do you're doing all your work? You're running your three businesses. You've got the <laughs> in, you've, got, you've just moved house, so you're living with a load of boxes. Do you not realise that you know actually?" <laughs> Just have a break. <laughs> it's a familiar conversation. I don't know why I'm so tired. Yeah. <laughs> because. <laughs> you just need to list the things that's going on in your life, don't you? And exactly. Exactly. So, so that brings to me really that, that one of the things on my list at the moment is have some time off this summer so that I can paint, but also write my book, which I've been trying to write for I don't know how many years. Wow. <laughs> but basically, I took your book, the story goes that, I went to Italy. I was in Tuscany with uh, Sean Tucker on a retreat. And I went there last year as well, specifically because I wanted to have some space to start to try and think about this book that I want to write. This year I went again because I didn't make any progress for a whole year (laughs) because I just didn't do anything. And I saw your book. I mean, I followed you for a while, but I only just clocked on that you had a book. I saw it on Instagram and I was like, I'll buy it and I'll see if it arrives before I go to Italy. (laughs) And it did. So I took it with me. 
And I was reading it and I've got a pool there, actually. It was quite ironic because I was, I was I figured out I could sit in the pool and read. <laughs> so, <you're multitasking, laughs> so, so I read your book in Italy and it was just like, it's, it's two things. It's like so inspiring and so wonderful to read because you're a bit, mostly because you, you're human in it. You're self-aware, you're human and it makes you feel I don't know, it makes you feel inspired, I suppose, to do things against mm. against the odds, not odds, but, you know, against all. Yeah. It brings out that well-being, doesn't it? Well, thank you. Firstly, it's something really nice to hear about your, your work. Yeah. Firstly, I want to say I, when I got the book contract and signing and, you know, I said I have to go to Dahab to write. I have to go. I can't write it from Ireland. So I went to Dahab March 2nd of oh. 2022, got oh. back on May 2nd and wrote not one word. I didn't even <laughs> write my name. Really? So, you know, I think you should still go to Tuscany for your research trips. But it doesn't have to happen there. <laughs> I came home and he said, you know, did my husband, did you do much? I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. I didn't do anything. But the ending of the book, not to spoil it, wouldn't have come about if I hadn't have gone to Egypt yeah. at that time, is what I keep saying insistently to anyone who challenges it. Oh, that's um, funny. That's a, so, so I spent the whole week there and I wrote an introduction. Oh, oh which, which I thought was quite practically good. done. I remember <laughs> I did a timeline and, you know, the timeline went out the window as soon as I came home. I did map it out. Just, I think I did it on the plane on the way home <laughs> to comfort myself from not having done anything. But in retrospect, having the space in Dahab made all the difference. And also, okay, in, in Dahab, which is in Sinai in Egypt, you know, and I, I was free diving, I was enjoying heat, I was cycling around, I was meeting friends, playing backgammon, um, doing just lots of things that recharged my soul. But, you know, we've spoken about, you know, stress and not realizing and going that go, go, go mode. Dahab does not work like that. Mm. It usually takes me about two weeks to fit onto Dahab rhythm because it's a much slower tempo than the life I lead here. And what Dahab afforded me was space. And I think for creativity, space is absolutely Mm. necessary. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I went to Italy. It wasn't to write. It was to have that space and all those things come up, don't they? Mm. But one of the things that did happen, which is probably something that happens to a lot of people, is that because it's new to me, I don't know how to write a book. I'm not Mm. a writer. Yeah, I wrote one. I still don't know. Exactly. And I was always reading your book and this thing that happens with beginners in any in anything. And I see this when I teach photography, whatever, is that you you read it and you're going, oh, but she's so good. She's like, she's just brilliant at writing. And she's like so free with it. And you start to think, well, I can't do it. She's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Isn't that I, silly? I, I, I want to just find a little picture I sent to my friend yesterday. She's a beautiful ceramicist, Yvonne uh-huh. Leon is her name on Instagram and she's doing her okay. uh, show on Friday and I'm you know fixing my TED talk at the moment so we're both about ah uh. so it says creative process number one this is awesome number two this is tricky number three this is shit number four I am shit number five this might be okay number six this is awesome so we both identified we were in number four it's not this is shit it's I am shit but yeah. it's it's so much 
part of the process. And I'm laughing along with you because, you know, at some point last year, or maybe it was even the year before that, I met up with, her name is Ruth Fitzmaurice. She wrote a stunning book, award-winning book, I Found My Tribe. I met up with Ruth and I said to her, so come here, you know, very vulnerably, because I'm not a writer. I said, so how do you, how do you write a book? <laughs> and she just said, oh, I was like, mm. <laughs> and exactly that. I just wanted, I kind of wanted a, you know, a dummy's guide to writing a book. Like, how do you start? So I don't know. Certainly I, I still have that feeling of. How do you do it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to re- reverse engineer the book that I wrote. What I do remember is when I came home from my non-writing trip, I, I started to write and I started to imagine my mum reading it or, you know, an English scholar reading it. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I wrote, let's say, 5,000 words. And when I went back, I was like, this is so boring. I am so the opposite of engaged in this. Yeah. It's so, it was whitewashed, it was sanitized. It was how I thought other people would want yeah. to read. Yeah. And there was no, it just, I was bored. I was bored rereading it. So that wasn't a good sign. So that went straight into the bin. And I started to write like I have written in my journal for since 2014. I kept a journal, so nine years. And then it, it came a lot easier. Okay. Some of the time. <laughs> yes, it's that not worrying about what other people think of it or are going to react when they see it and just write for yourself. Yeah, isn't and it? it's really funny. Then fast forward to last November and someone said, so come here, can I have a read of it? And I went, no, <laughs> no. And at that point I'd done rewrites, I'd done corrections and it was getting very, very near the time that people were going to start reading it. You know, it was just me and my editor at that point. And the thought of, oh my gosh, that's where we're at. Like soon people are going to read it. I had gone so far the other way of thinking no one is yeah. going to read this. It's going to be fine. It was really weird to have to come to terms with the idea of this was going out into the world. So I went and again went through the fine tooth comb of going okay let's take that bit out and that (laughs) bit out and that bit out but it's an incredible process and in some weird way I'm a little bit jealous of you why is that like jealous is a strong word it's a lot of work because to to start that process again or to be in yeah. in at the beginning of it there's so much learning there's so much yeah. there's so much nights of the dark soul when you're when you're in front of the laptop going I don't know if this is going to work and then fast forward to two months later or three months and you have a typeset in your hand or whatever the timeline is it is quite incredible and you know you, you know you used the phrase against the odds but writing a book felt like that it's doing something that for me it was doing something that I never thought I'd be able to do so having those moments along the way of holding your book a tangible book it's incredible and as I say it here I know I don't do it enough I tend to move on to the what's next and you know the next project but it's an insane achievement when anyone else told me they'd written a book I thought it was the most incredible thing and then 
when I do it myself, you kind of gloss over it and move on. But it is something I'm incredibly proud of. And you you get to know, well, it depends on the book you're writing, but I certainly got to know myself yeah. in a different way doing it. I yeah. have to remind myself of her. Yeah, how much you've achieved. Oh, it's just incredible. But it's but I think it's more it's more than just a book. I think for me, I, I love books like this. I don't really read fiction. I do occasionally, but but I, I prefer real stories of, of real people. And for me, it's there's a lot in this book. It's not just about free di- diving. In fact, mm-hmm. we haven't really mentioned free diving yet. <laughs> but but it's not just about that. It's about it's about mental health. It's about mm. how being in the water and having your own connections can bring you back to your to yourself. But it's also the other thing. There's there's those things that really connected with me, and also this kind of like. I, just, I loved you. I loved your humor, and I loved the sort of body acceptance part of it as well. I thought that was really valuable for a lot of people, mm. and uh, you know, I, f- I feel that for myself as well at the moment. And you know, there's those there's those things that you touched on, and actually, what I've done, right? I'll tell you what I've done is I've got what I do with books. I like you have to be a, you have to be a really good book to you can see it here. It has like bent over pages, and I'm Yay! writing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm the same. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like highlight if it's really good, I'll really yeah. highlight it and put a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. I read a book recently and I had borrowed it, so I didn't want to absolutely deface it. So I was taking pictures of the page and then just going to town on my phone. So while I had ordered a copy, so yeah, it, it's it's. Badges of honor, putting all over Just, the page. Yeah, the gen- the genius parts, you know. For me, I'll, I'll tell you, I've what I've done is I've just I've highlighted them on my my screen so I can go through. And you don't mind doing this, do you? Go I for it. It's quite good, bizarre, fun. but let's do it. It's bizarre, isn't it? So yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the the the, the story of your free time is, you know, people are going to buy this book and they're going to read it for themselves. <laughs> There's no point us talking about it. You don't need to tell us about the stuff. One big massive spoiler. The bit, the bits that got me were the the breathe, right? So breathing, the pause chapter. When you were talking mm. about, I've got a little bit here. I'll just I'll just read it for for people that are listening. Just take a deep breath because you're a breathwork teacher, aren't you? Or you were? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're still doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so can I just read this book? It's just brilliant. <laughs> how many it. times How many times have we been told to do this? Habitual postures shape our bodies. We develop tension, muscles tighten while others compensate. Our experiences start tweaking how we present ourselves. Our environment and beliefs take up residence, locking us into an idea or, or aesthetic of what our body should look like and what we must strive for to be considered normal or beautiful. Trauma, each interaction, how and when we should show emotion, that technology will layer into our lives and keeps us constantly stimulated and locked into a state of pseudo-alertness. So many elements crisscross and overlap, creating a feeling, a feedback loop to our brain, restricting and limiting our body's most intuitive movement so this is to do with how we we, we, we don't know how to breathe any, anymore, isn't it? And uh, yeah. And, and how we're born knowing how to breathe. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, my freediving instructor, when we first learned, when I was first learning, 
an example he used, if we had a newborn baby and we lay them flat on the table and they were breathing, we would watch their bellies rise, fall, rise, fall, because their chest muscles weren't developed. So we're born, you know, engaging our diaphragm to breathe. And as our chest muscles develop and then everything else becomes layered our bellies kind of become uninvited to the breathing party. And so much of it happens, you know, across top of our chest, you know, just around the clavicle. And that kind of short, shallow way of breathing, you know, reinforces itself, reinforces stress. You know, if you think about someone that is in a high state of stress or anger or any sort of those more more excitement, so it doesn't necessarily have to be negative, the heightened emotion, it's short and shallow breathing with shoulders kind of dancing below their ears almost so to reverse that and bring it low into the belly in a way now it's kind of counterintuitive because you know of how we've been doing it for years and you know kind of what I touched on there is all the stories we have and that's I think the bit that's forgotten yeah the stories that we have about how we should look how we should hold ourselves what we believe in the world, how we put ourselves forward in the world affects the tension in our body and therefore affects how we breathe. And it's funny, just as you you know, read that little part, I know why I wrote it or I know what I was thinking, you know, this idea of aesthetic. I, I worked as a, a musical director for years as well. I ran choirs and it was predominantly women and women in their 50s at the time, 50s, 60s. And, you know, any time I said, okay, folks, I want you to take a big deep breath in, I would watch their shoulders go to their ears and their bellies get sucked back. I'm going, oh, okay, just exhale, we're going to do that again. But it's so hardwired. This is the era that, you know, as, as someone described it to me, like, you know, was was wriggling into tight jeans, sucking in their belly to get the top thing after her jeans had been washed. I don't know why that stands out so so keenly in my brain. But this idea of, you know, you know, taking a breath in and, and pushing your belly out was really, really hard to do. Aside from the physical element of being unused to it, you know, letting your belly go. Whoa, that's that's something that we're not used to doing and something that's almost dirty mm-hmm. or certainly somewhat taboo. Maybe not. So, it doesn't feel so much for my generation, but certainly maybe one up as well. Um, but breathing has so much to do with, you, you know, your body and how you put yourself out in the world. And that kind of has that overlap with with body acceptance as well. Yeah. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And I've been learning this for many years because I've always, I've been trying to find a cure for my migraines for like 20, 30 years. And I've gone through the whole lot, the whole everything. So that sort of diaphragmatic breathing is actually really important yeah. because I ended up with a shoulder that was kind of stuck like this from just from holding tension, good like this, like, yeah. you know, in years of stress. And then I went to a breathing rehab lady where after yeah. COVID and she did a lot of, she did a lot of, that sort of work with me I'm 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 struggling with it so the, the one bit with in your book that I didn't read or I skimmed was the COVID bit so I just kind of I, I don't know if we should be talking about this but I should I couldn't go read it, it because so let's go for it yeah let's go for it it's highlighted that I've got some issues <laughs> so mm. but I, I just couldn't face reading it and I still mm. struggle to talk about it because I was 
quite sick right at the beginning, just before COVID, before lockdown. So it was before there was mm. any help. So I didn't get any help. So I was kind of left in quite a bad state. And I struggled to think about that. And I struggled mm. to talk about that. And I kind of just don't want to know anymore. But I don't think that's very healthy because I know you had a terrible experience. Well, I kind of read a little bit, but I knew it. I knew I knew what you were talking about when I was reading it. So I knew what was happening. Yeah. But it was my breathing that was particularly was particularly bad. So I ended up getting a private rehab because I went into dysfunctional breathing patterns and see she sort of slowly. But it's three years. It's just it's over three years now. And I'm only just getting back to I think my body's kind of broken down over the three years because I haven't been able to exercise. But now I'm just getting back to the place where I can start again. So it's three years of my life, I suppose. So maybe that's why it's hard to talk about. But you seem to be okay with it or okay with talking about it. Like, it's funny, you made a face in the middle of that and that face is really, really familiar. I make that face a lot. And they're kind of, oh gosh, is it hard to talk about? No, I have learned that I probably process things by talking about them now. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there haven't been nights where I wondered if I'd ever be better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's what's, well, it's actually not funny at all, but yeah. Booty, which is my husband's name, Booty and I were, it was October of 2021. And, you know, we were together and I'm kind of wondering the way I'm, declining the rate at which my health is declining am I going to be in a wheelchair by this time next year and then you're kind of going oh what life will you be signing up for and it was around the time where you know washing my hair was too much for me so sitting on the floor of the shower like and I suppose what like my heart is pulling you know hearing you talk about it because the physical aspect is really difficult yeah the mental aspect <laughs> is the absolute and utter yeah. head F is what it does to your sense of self. Yeah. Your sense of identity is so damaging. Yeah. It's really difficult. And it's funny because my publishers kind of gave me free reign and they fought me on very little. Early-ish in the process, they fought me on the COVID part. Because people are fed up of reading about COVID. But for me, it was really important. And okay, maybe maybe some people follow me on Instagram, still vaguely know my story. But the rough outline is (laughs) depression. (laughs) Learned free diving, went traveling, represented Ireland at the World Championships, came home, guns blazing, caught COVID. Or COVID happened, then got long COVID. So it was really, really really important for me to add the long COVID bit in because I could have ended it after free diving the world championships and that would have been the lovely you know dusting hands hurrah a happy ending but that's not how life is and it's certainly not how my life went and I think it's really important because the more you know this is a real story this isn't a Hollywood film this isn't the hero pose you know this is a real life person and to finish it there, I don't know, it just yeah. felt like it was robbing people of a chance to relate. I did get COVID. I did get long COVID. I do have long COVID. It's changed my life. And I suppose the bit that I wrote just as much for me as for anyone else yeah. is that, you know, this cycle will continue for life. And that like that feels hard sometimes because you have to 
pick yourself up and dust yourself off. But this is the exciting part. You know, this cycle is life. It doesn't just, it's not just, you know, I did this, this was hard, I achieved this, and then the rest was plain sailing. Chances are something else is going to happen. And you take the tools from the last cycle and apply it to the next cycle. So that's why it felt really, really, really important to me. And as a result of what I've learned about myself through long COVID, and maybe you're just, whether, whatever it is, like you're just not there. It's hard. And like I said, the physical part, it's almost easier. It's what it does to your identity. I was a free diver. I don't think I am anymore. And maybe that's a really big part of why I found some elements of the media around my book difficult. Because all they want to do is talk about free diving, which is understandable. I love free diving. It's amazing. I'll talk about it for as long as anyone will let me. But there is that slight disconnect of, I know I've had breathing tests in the hospital a week ago. And yet I'm going to talk about, you know, my achievements of holding my breath. That girl is a little bit behind at the moment. I'm not saying that she won't be back in a new incarnation in some point in the future and she might be brighter and shinier or maybe more real and honest who knows but when you're at that point of "Mm, I'm not going free diving anytime soon it's hard it's hard yeah um it is yeah and it's it's so complex and so nuanced yeah, it's it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? And and it is that when you said taking those lessons that you learn, and actually one of the lessons that I'd learned really early on in life was that the migrants I've had chronic fatigue for years, so I, I know how to I know how to use the skills that I've learned from that yeah. when it came to long COVID. So the the fatigue wasn't a problem; it was the breathing that was a problem. But saying that, what happened in, in December, at the end of December, I came out to the islands to to do some work for six weeks, and I'd had all this breathing rehab, and I was getting better very slowly all mm. the time. And then suddenly, I've had asthma all my life, and it stopped. And then I moved over to the Hebrides, and now I don't have asthma anymore, and my breathing is completely clear. It's almost better than it was before so I I think it's to do with the air here I think it's just the air on the on the islands is just superb so the the breathing side of it has is is resolved and and but but what I was thinking was your your breathing what you were talking about the the breathing I think it's so important for for everybody even if they've not had COVID they've not had breathing problems I think we all need to learn that those skills that that basic fundamental thought process behind breathing so important. Defin- definitely. And, you know, breath work or conscious breathing, it's all very trendy at the moment. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the downside to that is you feel like you have to go to a class and you have to learn. And, you know, that's partly true. But the thing is, you are breathing and you can make small tweaks. And certainly for me, and I think I mentioned it in the book, I think I do. Pick one song, sit down, put your bum on the floor, put your back to a wall for that, the length of that song. Even just play with how you breathe. You don't hold your breath. You don't have to hyperventilate. You don't have to do cold exposure. Not now. If it's going to be a little small daily practice for the simple reason of grounding yourself and coming back to your breath or beginning to develop that awareness and asking the question, okay, so how do I breathe? You need to somewhat get reacquainted with yourself, your body and how your body does things. And you need to do that when things are easy. 
Mm-hmm. Not when things are in high, high stress, so that when things do become stressful, it's already an established pattern. It's something I try to do as much as I can. So now it's it, it's automatic. But, you know, that's not a huge thing. Or, you know, the other example I always give is most people drink either tea or coffee. The length of the time the kettle is boiling, stop. Put your hands in your belly and start to feel, where do I breathe? So it's not about you know, doing this big breathing workout every day or however many times a day. It's just starting to integrate it into normal activities that we do. Brilliant. I love those, love those examples. That's something real that people can kind of grab hold of. And and yeah. I, I just sort of feel that you've got so much to give in this, the world that we're living in just now for, you know, when you were saying people want to talk to you about your free driving, which is incredible. And it's very, I suppose it's very, Oh, what's the word? It's not dramatic, but you know. It is kind it of dramatic. Is, it, so is, it is dramatic, that's for sure. <laughs> it's dramatic, it's impressive. What you're doing is seriously impressive. In fact, I left Italy going, I wonder if I could go somewhere and learn to freedom. <laughs> because oh, I'm, that's I'm, great. Yeah, I do a lot of in-water photography, but I don't dive because of my asthma. I've never dived before because I've never been allowed to, to learn. And I thought, I wonder if I could just freedive then, surely. So... Anyway, that's another thing. But you did, I did leave quite inspired thinking thinking about that. But but I think apart from that, I think the point is for me that you have a lot to give to maybe women of this this sort of maybe slightly older generation than you are, because I think we're just seeing so many problems now when you hit forties, fifties, and these these things of of breathing, body acceptance, and all of these mm. these kind of the ideas of you know finding yourself through what it is you love doing. I just love it. That's what I'm all about. And that's why I think I feel a connection with you. Um, because I just, I think you need to be talking and writing more books. And it's just, yeah. just, oh, just thank brilliant. you. That's, that's a really, really lovely thing. And, you know, the funny thing is I'm not exempt from any of these things. You know, I, I will, especially when I'm tired yeah. <laughs> and in the kind of the crash that's come after the book, you know, how yeah. many times has Booty said, I have a book I think I need you to read. And it is, it's literally taking my own advice and kind of grounding myself in what I know I know, what I know I believe, but whatever, more time on Instagram or that whole comparisonitis, when they start to kick in, it's kind of hard to, to remember what you know and believe. Mm. And it's, it's an equation that kind of keeps on moving or keeps staying with you. And some elements will become less important and some will be come amplified as as you move up I just turned 40 a couple of months ago as in between wedding and book (laughs) I turned 40 and it you know it it has you know uh, changed how I look at things I think I think to talk about things I think talking is good (laughs) do not use that for a tagline that is so pathetic talking is good good. (laughs) Claire Walsh (laughs) no what I mean is you know My rule of thumb, particularly for long COVID and now I suppose for mental illness, is if I feel that way, there are other people who might feel that way. And I know I feel isolated. So if I share it, I might lessen that sense of isolation for Mm -hmm. someone else. That's kind of my basic manifesto. I found it helped a lot of people, helped me 
during the long COVID part, but I suppose the bigger journey, to use one of my least favourite words, it's one of those writing words every time you you read it. Write it, you have to take a shot. A journey. And, and trigger is my other one. It triggered. Uh, you have to take a shot of coffee. So my journey, particularly in terms of mental illness, so I experienced quite severe mental illness, I guess, 15, 18 years ago. Up until about 10 years ago, I suppose. And back then, you know, I don't think there was Instagram. I certainly wasn't on it. There wasn't the mental health campaigns that there are now, which have made a difference, but not a huge one. Mm -hmm. And it was far more taboo. It was far more taboo. And I I kept, I, I was actually hospitalized, a word I can't say very well. And I kept a journal and the journal's hilarious absolutely hilarious it's hilarious I can't write it it's way too dark but it's really funny but all the way through the journey all the way through is this drive to talk about it so other people might do the same I felt such a weight on my shoulders to be the advocate to be the campaigner and I remember at a point I wanted to do all these things and a, a nurse I think said get better first and then maybe do it. And actually, it's taken quite a long time to put it out there in a way that I feel safe talking about it. I've processed, I've gone to years and years and years of therapy um, and can talk about it. But it's still quite a big part of my day to day life. So what was the point of all this? I don't know. Talking is good. <laughs> Talking's good. Talking's, Talking's good. good. Claire Walsh. <laughs> But that's that's why, you know, it it had to be a big part of the book in the same way the long COVID, because there was certainly a lot of comparisons or I drew a lot of comparisons and they were horrible, scary moments of, oh, my God, I've done this before, just in a different way. Horrible deja vu moments of I have something people kind of know, but they don't. But yet I spend a lot of time justifying why I feel sick and I'm watching these kind of questioning looks and then they say, oh, my gosh, that's so hard. But anyway, come here. Can you just. You know, yeah. there's a massive disconnect between what I'm saying, how they say they understand, and then what they're asking me to do. Yes. So yeah. that was the bit that really sent my head back, you know, 10, 15 years yeah. ago. I cannot believe we're back here again. And it triggered, <laughs> Sip. it triggered those same, that same kind of desire or kind of grit of teeth of, no, you don't get it. Here's how it is of trying to justify, over explain. So the book really was an opportunity as well to go. Here's how it was behind the scenes. Yeah. Here's what you wouldn't let me tell you. Here's what you thought. It you thought I was negative and weak. Here's what it really looked like. Brilliant. And that yeah. felt really important, and that will be there forever. Yeah. And that, that feels quite, that's good. Yeah. I like having that out there. Yeah, and you did it in a way that wasn't like neg- ne- negative, like self. Sorry, I can't think of the word. <laughs> Join uh, my club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, pitying. No, not pitying. But, you know, you, didn't, you did it not in that way, in the slightest. You did it in a way that this is what happened. This is how, this is what helped me overcome or work through it. Or these are the things that, you know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, like again, and I think that's thanks to distance. Yeah. I'm sure at the time there were other flavors in there, but 
you know, I have done a lot of work yeah. on myself and it has caused a lot of conflict in relationships. And I can also, I also now know how difficult it is to love yeah. and care for someone with mental illness or with chronic fatigue because it scares you and you want to help, but you don't say the right things. And then they get angry and then you get angry. And then, you know, it, it's so complex. It's so nuanced. And I suppose that's, that's kind of my pet peeve with some of the mental health campaigns. Certainly here in Ireland, it's okay to be okay. And just talk to someone. Just talking to someone has not ended very well for me historically. You need to talk to the right someone and that right someone probably needs to be a professional. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, I like I can only imagine how difficult it was for the people in my life at the time and the people in my life now. So it you know, I'm telling my story. I didn't want to tell theirs as well. I didn't want to pack any blame or anything on the yeah. all the emotions around me and the dynamics were so complicated. I wanted to just give my side and keep it as neutral as I could and try to acknowledge that this was only how I felt and outside it could have looked different does that make sense yeah yeah it, it does totally and it, it was done it was done so incredibly well and you Thank do you. Ha- you do help other people you probably you helped me by reading that book and I think a lot of that was to do with the the body acceptance I think maybe mm. at the time and it was only a tiny bit you you said it's something doing like the bit where you it was in softer or something you said my body's softer mm. I was like yeah my body's yeah. softer right now and my body's usually quite I'm usually quite fit and I'm, I'm used to being very very fit and I'm, at the moment I'm not and I'm struggling with that but then you said something about it. I was like oh yeah actually yeah <laughs> and it's funny if I were to write a book if if they said Claire you've a month I need a book give me a manuscript I, it will be on body acceptance mm. at the moment. It's a really big theme, topic, whatever Brilliant. for me, whether it's called body positivity or I think it's yeah. moved to body neutrality. I don't know. Yeah. But it is coming to terms with a body that's changing yeah. due to stuff beyond my control. And there's so much discourse out there on how we should or shouldn't feel about eating, about dressing, what to do, what not to do, the kindness, the, oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming. So to actually pair all that away and go inward and go, okay, how do I feel? Nope, that's that's a judgment. Let's take that out. Yeah. So to actually have an honest conversation with yourself about your body, it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard and it, it's where I'm at. I look very different to how I look, how I looked a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I have mirrors in my house every time I see myself. I still get a little bit of a jolt. It's not how I think Claire Walsh looks. And again, it, it, it's this journey of going, yeah, but like this Claire can still do so much. Yeah. How do I celebrate that? How do I be kind to that? Like, why would he use that harsh language? And for me, yeah. it's always through that like gritted teeth. So, you know, it's... It's so present in my life at the moment. It's still something that's really prevalent. It's still something I'm figuring out. I don't know if I'll ever figure it out fully, but yeah, I think if someone said, right on the topic now, go, that's what it'll be on. Uh, that's great. And I remember seeing it. In fact, what prompted me to, to get in touch with you, because I've been, I've been meaning to, I saw a video on Instagram and you, it was hilarious. you were doing the warm-ups in the gym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. That's me. 
<laughs> completely off topic there. But, <laughs> but I think that I think the thing that that sometimes strikes me. I saw I saw a little video of a lady with one leg who had a prosthetic leg, and she was doing weightlifting. And you know, she she can do that. How grateful should we be for bodies that that work? And you know, yeah, we forget like that, don't we? Yeah, and a lot of the again stuff I'm reading a lot of the dialogue in my head it's a very ableist problem so trying to break that down trying to challenge that but for example that video that I that I did put up I'm lucky I work with a trainer and I am privileged I have a company that sponsors me and the money goes straight into personal training great and and even if I didn't I think that's where I would prioritize any money I had he Colin is his name and he has experience with clients with chronic fatigue so it isn't the push 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 mentality I don't need that Mm. naturally that's kind of where I go (coughs) it's quite the opposite he just gets me to pull back Mm. and he'll say okay fine if you're doing two sessions with me during the week you can do one other thing okay okay so I will do a swim and a hike and whatever he goes no one thing you know so that I don't crash but yes, that video, <laughs> mobility and warming up, never my strong point or my interest. So it's usually just having a casual coffee. I get busted all the time. But putting that video up, I thought, oh gosh, I'd wished I'd pulled my, like the weight, waistband of my shorts up a little higher so I didn't see my belly. And oh my God, my boobs look massive. And my arms are, and I sat there going, no. And I was, well, it's not what you're trying to do. Yeah, like your body is how it is and we're trying to be kinder and not hiding it. So let's get it out there. And chances are other people didn't notice those things. They don't. They don't. But it's mad what you zone in yeah. and hold so tightly to. To yourself. Yeah, I just thought, oh, she looks great. And that is so, <laughs> and that is so funny. It's <laughs> like, oh, maybe I should go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, I suppose, what I'm trying to... Um, yeah. Oh, not redefine um I don't know tweak that relationship so at the moment you know I can go to the gym and I feel really happy about that that's don't great. get me wrong I'm going to complain a lot to him because that's just what I do it's the pantomime of going to the gym with him is annoying him as well I'm that kind of client but you know there was a time there where I didn't know if gym yeah. would be possible so you know, okay, if he tells me to do Bulgarian split squats, I'm going to like do it. really go for it in terms of complaining. But secretly, I'm kind of delighted that I'm there again. Yeah. I'm delighted that I can complain. It. I'm complaining. I'm delighted that I am back in yeah. our game. It's not the game. Yeah. But it's, I just feel so flipping privileged. Yeah. And it, it is slow. I think the thing is, it's is slow. I learned, I had to learn this before the, the awareness came out. I learned that you can't, push it you can't push I couldn't walk I couldn't walk up to my bathroom I had to move downstairs so I learned that I can't walk down the street so okay I walked down half the street maybe but then the next day nothing (laughs) so I I, you know that was quite a a difficult but that's just that's like a classic sort of post-viral thing isn't it Mm. but it's a very difficult thing to learn when you are used to for your mental health or your well-being you're used to being out doing Doing activities, you know, that's uh, that's yeah. the tricky bit, you know. So, um, but t- tell you what, I've noticed last last week and the week before is, is swimming. So so much was in the water, so much, 
And then this week I haven't been in the water and I've got migraine. And I think I'm starting to think now after 30 years of delving into why I get migraines. <laughs> oh, I notice that when I swim every day, I don't get them. <laughs> like, yeah. Hmm. Oh, maybe I just need to swim every day. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a relatively easy connection. <laughs> Does, doesn't it? But is it? Because as you said, don't we know what, what, what's good for us and then we don't do it because we've got all this stuff to do and I've got to do yeah. this work and... And our yeah. priority lists can become really warped. Warped is the yeah. So, so I thought maybe I put swimming at the top of the list every day. I've got I've got the water's like two minutes away from my house now. Oh. So, so um, yeah, no excuse. Anyway, um, I, I'll I'll let you be because I'm sure you've got a lot to prepare for, for Ted. Um, but We're, thank you. I'm on a Ted meeting afterwards. Oh, are, are you right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for. It coming has been so lovely to chat to you. Nice to meet and you. And finally connect. <laughs> <laughs>